If you have been a part of a church um, to any degree at all, whether it's this church or any other church, there's a, probably a good uh, possibility that you have had the opportunity or the invitation at the very least to participate in something called a spiritual gifts inventory. Personally, I have participated in dozens of these things over the years, and I have been a proponent of them in every church that I have been a pastor in for the last 35 years as well. Having said that, um, I have to confess, as I've participated in these, um, in these spiritual gifts inventories over the years, there's always been something that didn't sit right with me as I've done them or as I've encouraged other people to do them. And it wasn't until we started this book study that we're, our church is in right now that I fi it finally clicked about what it was that was bothering me. For those of you who are guests or visitors with this, by the way, let me give you a little uh, um, background. Prairie Bible, ever since our very beginning, two times a year we will do a book study as part of our discipleship strategy. Um, they, they're little books that we use, or big books sometimes, um, but they're all scripture-based, and they all point us to Jesus. And we do these two times a year to try to have everybody in the church as much as possible be on the same page with regards to what we're studying. And um, this fall, um, just last week as a matter of fact, we started um, this study called What's So Spiritual About Your Gifts? And as I was preparing for this study is when it hit me. The thing that has been bothering me about these spiritual gifts inventories that I've been doing for years and years and years is that just as the name implies, their, their intention is to help people identify their spiritual gifts that were given to them on the day they were born again. On the day that you accept Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, the day you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the, the Holy Spirit indwells you and equips you for the, for the mission and the vision of the church. And that mission and vision is to go out and to share Jesus with the world. Um, what the thing, this is what stuck in my craw about all this. As I've taken these tests, I've discerned that most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, these spiritual gifts inventories are really helping us to identify our natural gifts and not our spiritual gifts for the most part. Now, listen to me. When any, everything that I say from this point forward, don't imply that I'm suggesting to you that your natural gifts aren't important because they are important. The natural gifts that you have are from God just as the spiritual gifts that you have are from God. And God can use your natural gifts just as God will use your spiritual gifts for the kingdom. In fact, I have seen many of you use your natural gifts for the kingdom. That's a good thing. The problem is, and this is where we're in chapter two of the books, by the way. The problem is that we have not recognized the difference between natural gifts and spiritual gifts. And here's what's even more of a problem. We have so focused, as the church, on gifts that we have, in large part, ignored the giver of the gifts, who is the Holy Spirit. You see, here's the deal. There are churches scattered all throughout the land who are filled with gifted people. And many of those churches are withering on the vine. They're dying. 
Now, how is it possible for churches that are filled with gifted people to wither and die on the vine? It's because they have fallen into the trap of focusing on their talents rather than on the giver of the talents. And when you choose to focus on your gifts rather than on the giver of the gifts, you will suddenly discover that you're not as effective at the mission as you should be. And that's what's going on in a lot of churches today. They're withering and dying because they're more focused on the gifts than they are on the giver of the gifts. Well, today, I'm going to give you, as we kind of approach this whole idea that the author calls the talent trap, we're going to, I'm going to point your attention to a church that chose to be focused on the giver of the gifts rather than on the gifts themselves. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the New Testament book of Acts chapter 2. And if you're using one of the church Bibles, that's found on page 1082. And as you're looking that up, as I try to do every week, I'll give you a little context and, and background for the passage of Scripture that we're going to be studying today. If you were with us last week, you may remember that um, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he made them, he made a statement and he made a promise. It was in John chapter 14, verse 16. And you may remember what the statement and the promise was. The statement was, I'm leaving. And it freaked him out. Remember that? He said, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. So the first part, he was prophesying about the fact that he was going to die on the cross, rise again on the third day, and then ascend into heaven. That was a prophecy. The second part, that I'm not going to leave you orphans, but I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to ask him to send you a helper. That was a prophecy as well. He was prophesying about the day of Pentecost. So what was the day of Pentecost? If you remember the story in the Bible, it says that um, there was 120 people who had confessed Jesus as Lord, and they, Jesus had told them before he ascended into heaven, before he left, he fulfilled the promise of that. He says, go and gather because I'm going to send you the helper. God's going to send you the helper. And on the day of Pentecost, that prophecy was fulfilled. The Holy Spirit, as the Scripture says, descended upon them as tongues as of fire, and they were filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And from that day forward, anyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior has been indwelt by the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Everybody. If you've, had, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Pretty cool, huh? So, what does a church look like? And by the way, a church is not a building, right? What is a church? You are the church. A church is a community of believers, people who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and the church that was born on the day of Pentecost is empowered for a mission, which is to share Jesus with the world, the salvation of Christ with the world, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and what does a church empowered by the Holy Spirit look like? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that the church had gathered together under the teaching of the apostles. So, first thing is they studied Scripture. That's what a church looks like. They study the Scriptures. 
The second thing verse 42 says is that they had fellowship. The third thing is that they broke bread together. And the fourth thing was that they prayed. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like a pretty good description of the church. Just about any church that I've ever been a part of. I don't know about you, but my guess is that every church you've ever been a part of studied the Scripture in one form or fashion, fellowshiped together, um, broke bread together, which the implication is there that they, they, they participated in the sacrament of communion together. And we, as we talked about at first service, they also had a few well-placed potlucks too, right? And a well-stocked snack bar. And last but not least, they prayed. That's a good definition of the church. Just about every church I've ever seen would fit that definition. But look what happens next. This is where just about every church that I've ever been a part of and this particular church begin to diverge. For it says that as they, in verse 43, it says that as they gathered together as the church and were uh, being taught by the apostles and fellowshipping and breaking bread together and praying, it says in verse 43 that a spirit of awe fell upon them. And following that spirit of awe was the manifestation of that awe which was uh, miracles, wonders, and signs and wonders and miracles. I don't know about you, but I've been to a lot of churches that studied the Scriptures, fellowshiped, broke bread together, prayed, and there was no sense of awe, let alone signs and wonders. You know what I'm saying? They're two different things. Now, we can super-spiritualize verse 43 if we want to, but let me, let me boil it down for you. What is God the Holy Spirit saying to us in verse 43 when he says that a spirit of awe fell upon them, which was manifested then by signs and wonders? What he, you know what he was saying? He was basically saying this. If you take out all the religious mumbo-jumbo, basically what he was saying was that the people in that church could sense that God was in the midst of them. They could feel it. They could feel that something was going on. But it was more than just a feeling. That's what you got to understand. Have you ever heard the, the old saying that, that faith is not a feeling? That's the truth. Faith is not a feeling. But feelings are a part of faith if the feelings were generated by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And if, you, if those feelings or that sense of awe leads to signs and wonders, basically, what is signs and wonders? You see, a lot of people, we, you could, churches, have for, the, for years have kind of got, went off on a rabbit trail with that one saying, well, what does that mean? We, and I'm, did, how come we don't see signs and wonders in the church today like they had back then in that church? And, and that's a good conversation to have, by the way. And it's a worthy conversation to have. What, what is the manifestation of signs and wonders? What's that supposed to look like? It's a, it's a worthy conversation to have. But let me take away all the religious mumbo-jumbo again. 
Because what, was he, what were they really saying? What was God through the Holy Spirit saying to the church, saying to us in testimony to this church? What was he saying was happening? That there was a sense, they had a feeling that God was moving in the midst of them. And that feeling was more than just a feeling. It was actually the manifestation of that feeling was that lives were being changed. Listen to me now. Really, as you continue on in this passage, is that the manifest, they had a sense of awe, a spirit of awe fell upon them. And the manifestation of that awe was, as you continue down the passage, is that their numbers were added to day after day. People's lives were being changed. People were becoming believers in Jesus Christ. So, if a, a church that participates in the study of Scripture, that fellowships, that breaks bread together, and that a church that prays, when they embrace the giver of the gifts, they will experience a sense of awe, which will be followed then by signs and wonders, which means that people's lives will be changed. Does that make sense? That is what a church is supposed to look like. And if a church doesn't look like that, and by the way, who is the church again? You are the church. If the church doesn't look like that, you might ask the question, why? And the answer is as simple as, or maybe the question is as simple as, have you embraced the giver of the gifts? You see, that's the dangerous part of, of spiritual gifts inventories and, and all of that. It's, it is a, you, you are gifted. Naturally and spiritually you are gifted. Those are important things. But they're not nearly as important as your willingness to say to the giver of the gift, use me. Use me for the mission. However you want to use me, use me for the mission. You, are you willing to say yes? And if you haven't experienced an awe and then the manifestation of signs and wonders, you have to ask yourself the question, am I willing to say yes? Am I? Are you? Are you willing to be like that prostitute named Rahab? So we're, getting, we're getting right down to it. Because you can step back and go, well, I'm just not holy enough. The Holy Spirit never wanted. He used a prostitute named Rahab in the Old Testament. Remember that story? And he, the Holy Spirit came to a prostitute and said, Would, can I use you to protect my Hebrew spies in the land of Cana? Would you allow me to use you? And she said, Yes. You know what it looked like in a little boy named David when the Holy Spirit came to him and he said, hey, I'd like to use you to defeat a giant named Goliath. And what did David say? Yes. You know what it looked like in a group of misfits, uneducated kind of social outcasts named the disciples when the Holy Spirit said, hey, I'd like to use you to start a movement called Christianity. Are you willing to say yes? And what did they say? Yes. Yes. How about this one? There was this group, this unlikely group, 
that the Holy Spirit came to one day and said, I'd like to start a church in a machine shed on a farm out in the middle of Iowa somewhere. And what did they say? They said yes. And because they were willing to say yes, those of you who have been a part of that can attest to a spirit of awe that fell upon them. Which was manifested in signs and wonders. People's lives being changed. And people being added to their number day after day. Why? Because they were willing, you were willing to say yes. What did they have in common? What did all these people have in common? Was it that they were talented and gifted? Yeah, they were actually. All of them were to one degree or another and, and some of them were just normal people. Most of them were just normal people. But the thing that they had in common, no matter who they were, was that they were willing to say yes when the Holy Spirit said, can I use you? And when, when they said yes, a spirit of awe descended upon them. A spirit of awe that was manifest in signs and wonders, which ultimately meant people's lives were being changed and so was the world. So here's my question. When was the last time you felt that sense of awe? Maybe you felt it here this morning. If you're here today and you've never made the conscious decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and you felt that sense of awe, let me tell you exactly what the Spirit is saying to you. If you've never made that decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've sensed that sense of awe, whatever that, that presence, what the Holy Spirit is saying, it's time for you to say yes. It's time for you to confess that you're a sinner. Ask God to forgive you and invite Jesus to be your Lord. And that sense of awe will then give birth to signs and wonders in you. God will use you to change the world. If you've never made that decision, maybe today is the day that the Spirit is saying you should. Right over there is our prayer room. Um, if you need, if you would like me to pray that prayer with you today, I'd be my honor to pray it with you. But you don't need me. You can do this all by yourself. Maybe you have been wrestling for weeks, maybe months or even years with this decision. In fact, I just had a guy come into the prayer room with me at the first service and he told me, he said, I've been wrestling with the Spirit for so long. And today he said, it's time. And he confessed, 
Jesus as Lord. Have you been wrestling? Stop wrestling. It's much easier to give your life to Jesus. If you need a prayer with your pastor, I'll be right over there. Experience the glory of your 